1: Time to turn our attention to the United States. And the U.S. indeed still grappling with the Russia-Ukraine crisis, of course. It recently imposed fresh North Korea-related sanctions, though, targeting Russian individuals and companies.
2: Plus, you'll remember U.S. President Joe Biden announcing that Russia's most favorite nation status is revoked.
1: And finally, this is something that's also being discussed widely in the U.S. Could Russia be sabotaging the Iran nuclear deal over Ukraine sanctions? Mm, I'm quite curious about that one. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, we've got Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief of the Straits Times on the line to help us out. Nirmal, let's start off with last Friday, the U.S. imposing fresh North Korea-related sanctions targeting Russian individuals and companies after the U.S. and South Korea individuals at Pyongyang had used its uh, intercontinental ballistic missile system in two recent launches. What can you tell us about the relationship right now between these Russian nationals and uh, North Korea's activities for these missile programs? And does this mean we may not have any dialogue? No chance for any fresh negotiations?
0: Hi there. So on the dialogue part, the Biden administration has said it is willing to talk without preconditions, though it does still stick to its goal of complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. Something, Mm -hmm. by the way, that pretty much every North Korea expert says is just not going to happen, and doubly so after the example of Ukraine, which gave up its nuclear weapons in the 90s and now finds itself being invaded by a nuclear power. So the U.S. says there should be working-level talks first, and then we can talk about a summit, because the Trump administration's experience showed that summitry doesn't work. But the U.S. says the DPRK, North Korea, has not responded to this offer of talks. And these latest sanctions will not make much difference to that. Now, as for the sanctions themselves, they target a network of Russia-based individuals and entities complicit in helping the DPRK procure components for its unlawful ballistic missile systems. That's the language used by the Treasury's Office of Foreign Assets Control, OFAC. Essentially, a North Korean procurement agent based in Vladivostok in Russia, just up the coast from North Korea, has been dealing with some Russian individuals and companies which are providing DPRK with certain components. One of these individuals is a man called Alexander Alexandrovich Chasovnikov, who, in support of the North Korean agent, apparently coordinated the purchase and transportation of various things for the DPRK government. At times, one of his companies apparently paid Russian port service fees for DPRK vessels, and Chasovnikov himself was involved allegedly in the coordination of a ship-to-ship transfer involving a DPRK vessel. Now, how critical these components are, what kind of impact this will have on the North Korean missile program, obviously it will create a problem, but to what degree, we do not know, because we don't have the specific technical information.
1: Now, Nirmal, just recently, President Joe Biden said that the group of seven industrialized nations will revoke Russia's most favorite nation trade status. And they also announced a U.S. ban on Russian seafood, alcohol and diamonds. These, of course, the latest steps to punish Moscow over its invasion of Ukraine. Talk to us about not just the symbolic significance of this move, but what it would really mean for Russia in practical terms as well.
0: Right, so industries are busy figuring out the impact and what exactly will be covered. Some seafood, for example, is processed in another country before it comes to the U.S. The U.S. imports around $1.2 billion worth of seafood from Russia annually. In the case of diamonds, around 30% of the world's rough diamonds come from Russia, and the impact of this will not be very significant as there has already been a backing away from Russian diamonds. In terms of vodka and so forth, that is not much. The U.S. imports around $24.1 million in beverages, spirits and vinegar annually from Russia. Most Russian branded vodkas are actually produced in other nations, Latvia, for example, Poland, for example. But cumulatively, this keeps adding up. And incidentally, Russia is accusing the West of waging economic war. So this is also not without risk as whatever happens, there will be to some extent global disruption and prices of all these items will likely go up. This is the further tightening of the screws economically and we already have Fitch ratings slashing Russia's credit rating to junk status and the ruble has fallen dramatically and we have one estimate at least saying Russia's GDP is going to fall 15% this year. What's really keeping Russia going is the one sector Europe in particular cannot exit from in a hurry, which is oil and gas. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode.
2: We're on the line this morning with Straits Times US Bureau Chief Nirmal Ghosh. Uh, Nirmal, let's talk about the United States and how uh, they rejected Russian claims that it supports a bioweapons program in Ukraine, saying the allegations were a sign that Moscow could soon use the weapons themselves all right, let's, let's first take into consideration this history of uh, disinformation and Russia spreading it about the U.S. What can you tell us about the validity of this particular claim with regard to the biological weapons research? And to what extent would the use of chemical weapons escalate tensions in the current crisis?
0: Yes, using a chemical weapon would hugely escalate tensions and breach what is not being called a red line, but will be seen as a red line. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan here in D.C. on Sunday said it is a very legitimate concern, fear that Russia would use chemical weapons in Ukraine and accuse the United States and Ukrainians of potentially using chemical and biological weapons is a tell that they themselves may be preparing to do so and then trying to pin the blame on someone else. And he said there would be a very severe price to pay. But the fact remains that the U.S. is very firm that they do not want to be drawn into a direct conflict or or a more direct conflict with Russia. So any use of a chemical weapon would most certainly present a dilemma. When Syrian forces used chemical weapons, the U.S. that was under Donald Trump hit one of their bases with cruise missiles. But again, they are unlikely to do this to Russia. As for the validity of Russia's claims... It seems there are biological labs in Ukraine, but these are old bio facilities and the U.S. has, since around 2005 or so, been involved in assisting them to prevent production of biological weapons, to manage them, so to speak. Some extreme conservative voices here in the U.S. have been citing bits and pieces of information and misrepresenting some of it and conflating bio labs with bio weapons and saying, see, Russia is right. But no evidence has emerged that that is the case. So, right now, it has to be seen as a sort of gray zone propaganda war. But the fact that Russia raised it is worrisome, any way you look at it. NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg has also said in an interview on Sunday with the German paper Welt am Sonntag that Russia may use chemical weapons against Ukrainians and was inventing false pretexts to justify it. So, a very dangerous phase indeed.
1: Now, still on this issue, Nirmal, the U.S. said it would rush up to 200 million U.S. dollars in additional small arms, anti-tank and anti-aircraft weapons to Ukraine. This as Ukrainian officials are pleading for more equipment to defend against the heavy shelling that we're seeing being conducted by Russian forces. With President Biden authorizing nearly a billion dollars in military assistance over the past year for Ukraine, really, how much more can the U.S. keep giving, keep up with stock supply and to what extent could this indirect involvement actually escalate to involve NATO as well
0: Right so the line is becoming thinner and thinner and we have had the Russian airstrike on a Ukrainian base that has been regularly used by NATO very close to the Poland border still within Ukraine but really quite uncomfortably close to the border with a NATO country and a facility used by NATO Now, Vladimir Putin has said convoys carrying military aid into Ukraine will be considered legitimate military targets as well. But a lot of that is also saber-rattling. His forces are involved in a grinding war, his economy is hurting, and it is a good bet that he does not want to expand the war either. But he can't afford to look weak or back down, so he has to keep threatening the Allies. It is getting more and more dangerous, one has to say, and there is tremendous public pressure as well, especially in parts of Europe, for NATO to step in to save the lives, really, of Ukrainians as their cities are bombed. It's a tough line not to cross, but crossing it would mean a much wider and more dangerous war. But so far, NATO is pushing the envelope, but staying just this side of that line.
2: Final question, Nirmal. It's about talks to revive the 2015 Iran nuclear deal that uh, last week faced the prospects of collapse after a last-minute Russian demand forced world powers to pause negotiations indefinitely. So, is Moscow's approval legally required for this deal to be restored? In your opinion, Nirmal, you see any possibility of restoring the deal without uh, exempting any sanctions that are currently imposed on Moscow? From what we know, as of now, the U.S. will not negotiate exemptions for Russia.
0: It will go ahead with a deal with Iran because its paramount objective is that Iran should not ever become a nuclear power. There are reports that it will go ahead and sign a deal with Iran and other signatories concerned, even if Russia does not. And then possibly make a separate deal with Russia. So right now, I think they are looking for creative ways to do this, to get to a deal. You will notice that Iran clarified that it was not targeting the U.S. consulate in Erbil with those 12 ballistic missiles that hit the area overnight. They said they were targeting an Israeli entity. And the U.S. also said the diplomatic building was not the intended target. So while the U.S. takes a dim view and is saying that strike is a violation of Iraq's sovereignty, they are both trying to separate that strike from the talks. Now, having said all that, the Russian demand is a serious obstacle, and we will know possibly within a week if there is a way around it.
1: We've been speaking with Nirmal Ghosh, U.S. Bureau Chief at The Straits Times. Thanks very much for that, Nirmal. We'll catch up with you again next week. The Asian Insider Podcast
0: channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate
1: us.